Good morning. As Paul stated earlier, my name is Henry Thompson, and I am a pastor from the Kansas City area. I live in the Midtown area in Kansas City, which is probably flooded with people right now because there is a parade downtown for the Chiefs win, Super Bowl win. Uh, but uh, before I begin, I just want to let y'all know, uh, before coming to Kansas City, I was at a black church on the south side of Chicago. I'm going to talk about that a little more. But if you ever feel like you want to say amen during this sermon or talk back to me, that may actually help me today. So um, thank you, Paul. You already with me. Uh, so l let me pray before I begin. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for your grace. Uh, thank you for your opportunity to preach your word this morning. I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would be glorified through this message this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, as I just stated, prior to moving to Kansas City, a year and a half ago, I lived in the Chicago area and attended a black church on the south side of Chicago. And I absolutely loved this church. I loved the gospel music played during worship. I loved the powerful preaching at the church. But during my third year of seminary, I decided to apply to a pastoral residency at a primarily white church. Then to my surprise, after applying and going through an interview process, I was selected for this opportunity and I felt like the Lord was calling me to accept this pastoral position. So I moved to Kansas City to serve as a pastor at Christ Community Church, a primarily white multi-site church with 3,000 regular attenders. When I joined the staff of about 60 people, I was the first and only African American on staff. During my first months at Christ Community, I felt culture shock because they were so culturally different from my last church. Some of the things they did even bothered me when I first came to KC. For example, they had donuts and coffee in the sanctuary. When I told my parents, they were like, they got donuts and coffee in the sanctuary? I don't know if you've ever been to a black church. But in my experience in black churches, we never, never, never have food or coffee in the sanctuary. So I originally viewed this in a negative way. I wondered how people could lift their hands in worship to God while holding a grande, non-fat, caramel macchiato with a pump of vanilla with an extra shot of espresso. I just didn't know how you were going to worship God. But then I figured out they really didn't raise their hands. So... <laughs> <laughs> doing worship, so I realized that wasn't going to be an issue. And before long, I realized that serving at a, as a pastor at a primarily white church was going to be a bit harder than I expected. During my time at my primarily white church, I realized how hard it is for people, even Christians, to walk in unity with people from different backgrounds than their own. I know some of you students here today may relate to my story. I know some of you are from communities, cultures, and even countries very different than Sterling, Kansas. I know some of you come from communities that primarily speak Spanish, Arabic, or another non-English language. I know some of you come from communities with different custom values and traditions. I know some of you come from communities where mostly everyone has the same racial and ethnic background, and Sterling is the first time you've had to interact with numerous people 
from different racial and ethnic backgrounds than your own. And I'm guessing some of you have seen that it can be hard to walk in unity with people that think very differently from you on this campus. But in our text this morning, in Acts chapter 15, we are going to see that we can have unity without uniformity. We can have unity without all of us being the same. Our text shows us that we can move beyond the barriers that separate us. And it points to the truth that we can be unified without us all being the same, liking the same music and speaking the same language. Now, we will not only see these truths in our text this morning, we will see three things we can do to pursue unity as we live together. The first thing we learn from Acts chapter 15 is that we should reject the gospel of assimilation. We should reject the idea that a person needs to completely give up their culture or conform to our culture to truly follow Jesus. In order to see this truth, let's look at our text this morning, starting in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. It reads, But some men came from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, just to set the backdrop for this text, the book of Acts focuses on the spread of of the church after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Now, in the beginning of Acts, we see that the first Christians were Jewish people. And this makes sense because Jesus was a Jewish Messiah and all his disciples were Jewish. But as we progress through Acts, the gospel starts to spread to non-Jewish people who are called Gentiles. And by God's grace in Acts 11, we see the emergence of a church with both Jews and Gentiles, Christians. This is an absolute miracle because Jews avoided association with Gentiles. Since they were doing life together in the church for the first time, Jews and Gentiles had to figure out how to live together, despite their differences. Now in Acts 15 verse 1, a group of men who were Jewish came from Judea to the church in Antioch. They began teaching Gentiles in the church in Antioch that they needed to be circumcised to be saved. These Jewish Christians were basically telling non-Jewish Christians that they had to assimilate into Jewish culture and get circumcised to be saved. Paul and Barnabas were deeply opposed to this idea because they knew that Gentiles were saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul and Barnabas were fighting to preserve the truth of the gospel by rejecting the false gospel of assimilation. Look at verse 2, it says, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. This verse shows that Paul and Barnabas had a big disagreement with the Jewish Christians from Judea. That The disagreement was so great that they had to be a council in Jerusalem to resolve the matter. The question that needed to be answered was, do Gentiles need to assimilate or conform to Jewish culture to be saved? Paul and Barnabas were appointed as representatives to go to this council in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas knew the answer to this question, but they went to the council in Jerusalem in order to fight for the preservation of the gospel message. Paul and Barnabas left Antioch and went to Jerusalem. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they testified to the council about how God used their preaching to lead Gentiles to saving faith in Jesus apart from circumcision. But they once again received pushback in Jerusalem. Look at verse 5. It reads, 
But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. In Jerusalem, there are a group of Jewish Pharisees who are Christians that oppose Paul and Barnabas. But despite opposition, Paul and Barnabas are committed to preserving the gospel by rejecting the notion that Gentiles needed to assimilate into Jewish culture. They rejected the gospel of assimilation in order to preserve the true gospel message. And this text shows us that if we're going to walk in unity, we too should reject the gospel of assimilation. We should never explicitly or implicitly reinforce the idea that someone has to assimilate into our culture to truly follow Jesus. Now, one of my favorite forms of music is hip-hop. Thank you. (laughs) And one of my favorite hip-hop artists is Lecrae. Now, Lecrae is a devoted Christian, and one thing I love about him is that he unequivocally rejects the gospel of assimilation. In one of his songs called Facts, he says, I will not oblige to your colonized way of faith. My Messiah died for the world, not just USA. They say, Cray, you so defensive, shouldn't be a black church. I say, do the math, segregation started that first. Then he goes on in this song to say, hope you know that I'm black, black. Traded my smart car for a Cadillac. Can you handle that? And I love God. I love Jesus, the one out of Nazareth, and I live in multiple worlds. Call me a hybrid because I'm so black. Young theologian who's educated but still be at that chicken shack. Now, what I love about this song from Lecrae is that he explicitly rejects the notion that he has to give up his culture as a black man to love and follow Jesus. He rejects the idea that black Christians need to assimilate into white evangelical culture to truly follow Jesus. I found this song inspiring because... I've often felt the pressure to assimilate into white evangelical culture in my white Christian church now and in the white Christian college I attended in the Chicago area. Now, do not hear me wrong. I love my white brothers and sisters in Christ, but they can sometimes be unaware of the reality that they have a culture. This can lead to some of them thinking their ways of doing things are normal or the default. This subconscious assumption can inadvertently lead minority Christians feeling like they have to assimilate or conform to the majority culture to follow God. This is why I'm so thankful that Lecrae reminded me of the truth that no one has to assimilate into another culture to follow Jesus. And I think we need to embrace that truth for ourselves. And this is what we see Paul and Barnabas doing. They are rejecting the notion that non-Jewish people have to assimilate into Jewish culture to follow Jesus. And I want to communicate this truth to all of you this morning. You do not have to give up your culture, language, or customs to follow Jesus. Now, there are sinful things we have to turn from to follow Jesus, but we do not have to turn from our culture. There is no one culture or language that has a monopoly on the Christian faith. So you can hold on to your cultural heritage as black, Puerto Rican, Venezuelan, white, Chinese, French, Nigerian, Iranian, Korean, and follow God. In light of this truth, we should reject the gospel of assimilation and embrace the truth that we can have unity without uniformity. No one has to conform to another culture to be a faithful and true Christian. This is the truth that our text points us to this morning. 
And moving back to our text this morning, we learn another thing we should fight for as Christians for unity with one another. We learn that in light of God's truth, we should fight against our own biases. For the sake of unity, we should put ourselves in positions that challenge our biases about groups of people different from our own. We see this point through the words of the Apostle Peter in our text. At the beginning of verse 7, there is a great debate between the church leaders at the council in Jerusalem. They were arguing and fighting, but they were not getting anywhere. Then Peter stands up and silences everyone. Have you ever been in an argument and someone said something that made everyone be silent? Look at the Apostle Peter's last words in the book of Acts, beginning in verse 7. Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by the, my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through grace, through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Peter gave a testimony of how God moved in Acts 10. God had called Peter to preach to the Gentiles about 10 years ago. God called Peter, a Jewish apostle, to go to the house of a non-Jewish Gentile named Cornelius in Caesarea. And through a dream, God challenged Peter's biases because Jewish people did not associate with non-Jewish Gentiles. When Peter came to Cornelius' house, there were a bunch of Gentiles gathered there. Peter proclaimed the gospel at Cornelius' house, and while he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on every Gentile in the room. Imagine preaching the gospel to a room full of people and seeing the Holy Spirit fall on all of them. You would never forget that day, and Peter did not forget those Gentiles were not circumcised, and they did not follow the Mosaic law, but God saved them. They received the Holy Spirit by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter makes it clear that God is not biased toward Gentiles. He says in Acts 15 verse 9 that God made no distinction between Jew and Gentile. The word distinction means to discriminate or favor in the original language. God did not discriminate against the Gentiles. God accepted them as they were. God didn't wait until they were circumcised or obedient to Mosaic law to save them. Peter shows that the Jewish Christians saying Gentiles need to be circumcised and follow Mosaic law to be saved are opposing God. Because God did not make that necessary for salvation. Peter makes it clear that Jews and Gentiles are both saved by the grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't want you to miss this. Peter basically says that all people are saved the exact same way by the grace of God revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Everyone is saved by grace. It doesn't matter if you're African American, Native American, Asian American, European American, Latinx American, Japanese, Brazilian, Ghanaian, Iranian, Russian, or South African. It doesn't matter if you are upper class, middle class, or working class. Everybody is saved by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God is not biased toward people. In light of God's truth, 
Peter lets go of his biases toward non-Jewish Gentiles. And we should follow in Peter's footsteps. In light of God's truth, we should challenge our biases against people. All of us have our biases toward certain groups of people. We are typically drawn to people with the same ethnic, racial, political, or economic background as our own. Many times we have biases towards certain groups of people without even realizing it. I was reminded of this truth at Indiana University. See, I developed a relationship with an international student through a Christian campus ministry called Crew. This international student asked me for help on an assignment, and I met with him to help him as much as I could with this assignment. And after I helped him with this assignment, some weeks later, I went out to eat with him. While we were out to eat, he asked me to take a picture with him. And I don't like taking pictures, but I took this picture with him, and it was clear to me that he was very excited about this picture. And he told me he was going to show it to his parents. And out of curiosity, I asked him why he wanted to show this picture to his parents. And I will never forget what he told me. He said, my parents told me to avoid black people when I came to America, but you have been so nice to me. So I want to show my parents this picture so they won't be afraid of black people. I didn't know how to respond in that moment, but as I reflect back on that situ situation, we need to do what my friend from a different country did. We need to put ourselves in positions that challenge our biases. He had never met a black person in his country, but he held a negative bias against black people due largely to the negative representation of African Americans in U.S. media. But he didn't let his bias keep him from reaching out to me. I want to believe that my friend found the courage to do this because he heard about a God who was saving people from every nation, tribe, and tongue by his grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Either way, he put himself in a place for his biases to be challenged. And once he figured out that his biases were incorrect, he wanted to go back to his home country and challenge his parents' biases. We should put ourselves in positions where our biases can be challenged. One way we can do this is by intentionally seeking to develop relationships with people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds than our own. I personally have grown so much through developing relationships with people from different ethnic backgrounds than my own. So I'd encourage you as students, administrators, and professors, develop deep relationships with people who look and think differently than you. Because when we do this, it will help us overcome many of our unconscious biases against other groups of people. And it will help us realize that we can have unity without uniformity. Now, as we move back to our text, we see in verse 12 that the council fell silent after Peter's speech. They gave Paul and Barnabas the opportunity to highlight how God has saved the non-Jewish Gentiles by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas have seen numerous Gentiles come to faith without conforming to Jewish culture. After this, the brother of our Lord Jesus provides the final verdict for the council. And through this verdict, we learn the final point of this sermon. We should fight for unity by lovingly serving one another. Through loving service, we should pursue unity without uniformity. Let's look at what he says in verse 13. 
After they finished speaking, James replied, Brother, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. And jumping down to verse 19, it reads, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. In this passage, James shows that the testimony of Peter, Paul, and Barnabas are in line with Old Testament prophets. James shows that God has always planned to include non-Jewish Gentiles in his plan of salvation from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And after acknowledging this truth, James gives the final verdict for this council meeting. James begins by saying that he doesn't want to make it hard for the Gentiles to turn to God by making them conform to Jewish culture. So he tells the Gentiles to avoid things polluted by idols, because before coming to faith in Jesus Christ, they followed pagan religions. James also calls the Gentiles to avoid sexual morality. James knows that non-Jewish Gentiles lived in a culture that normalized sexual immorality. In order for them to truly follow God, they had to turn from the sexual impurity in their culture. The third and fourth thing that James calls the Gentiles to do are not directly applicable to our context, but these were things that the Gentiles had to do for the sake of unity in the church. Jews and Gentiles went to church together. There wasn't a Jewish church on the east side of town and a Gentile church on the west side of town. This was an anomaly. The cultural divide between Jew and Gentile was greater than any cultural divide in our culture. In order for them to be in church together, there had to be compromise. So James admonishes the Gentiles and Jews to lay down some of their preferences to lovingly serve one another as Christians. And this is what we must do for one another to walk in unity. We should be willing to lay down our preferences to lovingly serve one another. We live in a culture that tells us to selfishly focus on meeting our own needs, but God calls us to lay down our preferences to lovingly serve one another. See, doing this will lead to greater unity on this campus. And you can do this on a practical level in a number of ways on this campus. First, I imagine professors can lovingly serve students by diversifying the reading list for classes to make sure they include authors from diverse racial, ethnic, and gender backgrounds. I imagine that you could also embody this call to lovingly serve one another in chapel by giving up your worship-style preferences diversifying the speakers, and incorporating different languages. This would serve brothers and sisters from different racial, ethnic, and national backgrounds in this campus community and help them feel like they belong. And students, you could lovingly serve one another by listening, empathizing, and caring about students that come from different racial, ethnic, and national backgrounds than your own. Taking these steps and others will help you walk in unity on this campus. And I know from talking with Paul, this is your desire as a community here at Sterling College. Now go with me here a second. Something amazing happened this past Sunday. The Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. After a 50-year drought, people across the city were going crazy. I was there. And right now, as I speak, people are gathering for a big parade in downtown Kansas City, Missouri. They'll probably have millions of people there. And uh, 
I remember after they won, people were shooting fireworks, blowing their car horns to one another in celebration. And I don't know if you've been in the greater Kansas City area, but it's very diverse. There's a grow growing Latin American community, a historic African American community, a growing number of Asians, a large population of white Americans, and a refugee population. Kansas City, like many cities, has people with a range of economic levels and a range of political views, but this Super Bowl win has united Kansas City across its deep divides. And sports has the power of uniting people across divides, right? But through our text this morning, we see that in a higher and holier way, the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to unite us across our divides. See, Jesus, the God-man, took on flesh, lived the perfect life we could never live, and died on the cross for our sins and resurrected from the grave. And his victory over Satan's sin and death has made it possible for us to be unified despite our differences. See, he has given us the power through the Holy Spirit to reject the gospel of assimilation, fight against our biases, and to lovingly serve one another. This is why we can have unity without uniformity. See, Jesus came to save people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to make us one family. So now, through Jesus Christ, we can have unity without uniformity in our divided world. Amen? Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your grace, Lord. I thank you for sending Jesus to die to make us one family. I thank you for the blood that you shed that covers over all our sins, Lord, and I pray that you would lead and guide us by your Holy Spirit and empower us to walk in unity with one another, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.